Welcome to The Partnership, the straight-up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran-Connor. We know we, a th- What are you doing? Go ahead. <laughs> we know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency Jennifer Bett Communications together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground up. Hi, Melissa. Hey. So this is officially the longest we've gone without seeing each other, I think in seven years or so. How's how's the East Coast? The East Coast is still cold and it shouldn't be anymore. I'm wearing um, a sweat, like a wool sweater, which I'm not okay with. But the, the weird thing is like three days ago, it was 77 degrees. So Climate change is real, and anyone who says it's not is a liar, living under a rock or in a cave. But yeah, we're okay. We're surviving. Is there anything? I mean, it's ninety degrees here, so I'm not going to complain. And what listeners can see is everyone rolling their eyes at me right now. But what I wanted to talk to you about, which is one of our favorite subjects, before we get started, is and I know you're um, obviously very pregnant right now. Um, what are some of the things you're kind of up to just for self-care? Because I know that's something we preach in our office and something a lot of our clients preach, how to take good care of yourself as a worker, as a woman, as a mother. You know, we do everything from working out to beauty treatments to yoga to going on hikes. And now that we're all in our houses, what have you been doing to kind of make yourself feel good? Honestly, I'm so brain dead by the end of the day. I just sit down on the couch and watch TV and let my brain shut off. But I have actually made more of an effort because you remind us to do this, to take care of myself. I am very much an advocate for skincare. I want to look like I'm this age and when I'm like a hundred. So I have a pretty consistent skincare. I mean, let's just interject by saying if you look (laughs) anything like your mother does, you are perfectly fine. I know. Melissa's mother- Yeah. It, I mean, jeans on my side, but I still think that it requires some maintenance. So yeah, I like, I love my like morning moisturizer and my, you know, serums and all that stuff, but I just got a gua sha. Is that how you say it? Gua sha tool. It's like that in really cool, like stone thing, which I'm going to start doing while I watch TV. So I'm really excited about that. So I'm really like skincare is my thing. Do you take a what bath are, every day? I mean, I take a shower in the morning, but that's it. Yeah, that's all like, I wish I, I, for. I know. Who the hell has time for a bath? Maura. Every now and then I go and I see that Maura <laughs> is taking an indulgent bath and I want to fly to New York and pull her out and go in myself. It's like, I will say my mother taught me from a really young age. She's like, whatever you do, find time to take a bath because she's like, it is the most indulgent, important thing you can do. Um, that's such a good piece of mm-hmm. advice. And, and I'm luckily at my parents' house and they actually have like proper like soaking mm-hmm. tubs and I haven't taken advantage of it once. So maybe I'll do that this weekend as my mission. Yeah. I mean, I've been, go- I've been crazy because as you know, I was prepping for my wedding when this all kind of started. So I had kind of R. like- RIP wedding. Yeah. RIP my <laughs> wedding. Um, I had, you know, we decided to get married pretty quickly. So I had like four weeks to beautify myself. Um, <laughs> and so I was doing like an LED mask every night and, and different masks from different brands. And I was, you know, getting massages and all the doing whitening strips. And that's all kind of fallen to the wayside. And now <laughs> I just, I barely have time to put on moisturizer and sunscreen. But for me, like my biggest self-care is I go downstairs and I either ride the Peloton or I do a bar class and I just kind of shut everyone out for a full hour every single day. Well, I and thought it was funny when you called me the other day and you're like, I'm walking to the mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that just like you taking a minute away from everyone? Yeah. I mean, because- I think that's really important. Like I've also always been someone who's pretty independent and I like my space and I like my alone time. And obviously... <laughs> We don't really have alone time. So I think to keep my relationship alive and to keep everyone in a good place, it's really important for me to find that solitude every now and then. So I totally um, agree. You know, we're in survival mode right now. You need to kind of do what you need to do, whatever it is to just stay healthy mentally and physically. And, you know, for me, that hour every day where, and sometimes it's 30 minutes. Sometimes I can only get on the bike for 10 minutes. You know, it just, I mean, it's better than nothing. It's just taking care of your body is the same as taking care of your mind and vice versa. So it's, yeah, it's so important. Well, uh, let's get started. 
Today, we are so excited to welcome Mallon and Getz co-founders, Matthew Mallon and Andrew Getz, who launched their namesake Apothecarian Lab with the mission to create simple skincare solutions formulated with a sensitive skin in mind. Mallon and Getz have since upgraded just about everything in your medicine cabinet, from deodorant to shaving cream to perfumes to candles, proving that a beauty brand can incorporate natural ingredients and advanced technologies without sacrificing luxury. Matthew and Andrew aren't just partners in business, but also in life. They met the old-fashioned way at a bar, the same as me and my husband, and the rest, as they say, is history. Before becoming entrepreneurs, Matthew forged a successful career in cosmetic buying, overseeing global sales for Kiehl's and building out Prada's beauty division. Andrew, meanwhile, worked as the U.S. Marketing Director for family-owned, Swiss-based design manufacturer. Together, Matthew and Andrew have scaled Mallon and Getz across categories and into more than 600 retail outlets, including a collection of dedicated brick-and-mortar stores. Hey, guys. Hey, how are you doing? We are so excited to have you on the show. We, I feel like you guys are so legit and it feels really good to be talking <laughs> oh, to you. you. I don't know about that, but we're definitely excited to be here. We're all legit. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, we, we'll we go have, with that. Before we start, we should probably give a small shout out to, um, is it Jen, are we calling her Jen Pavlicek or Jen Pavlchek. Collin right now? Pavlicek. I mean, Pavlicek. Pavlicek. yeah. We'll I guess right. The right name. Jen is our vice president of beauty. She's a legitimate rock star. She is a ball of energy. She just had her second baby and is still busting her butt um, at JBC. And, and she put us in touch. She used to work with you guys. Yeah, we love her. She's awesome. You're really lucky to have her. Oh, we know. We, are, we know. <laughs> we know. We know. But let's not talk about her too much because then she's really going to hold this against Yeah, let's get into it. I think I'm really excited to talk to you guys because you're the first set of partners who are partners in life and business. So we could talk about so many other things that we don't get to always talk about, which I'm really excited. Can you tell me about how you guys met at a bar? Because that's how I met my husband, the old school way, which, you know, doesn't happen as often anymore. So I'd love to just like, like, what bar was it? In true Malin and Getz minimalist um, formation, the name of the bar was The Bar. <laughs> and it was on 2nd Avenue and 4th Street in the East Village of New York. And um, I had just moved back from um, being abroad for a very long time. And I don't think any of us were really looking for love. And I remember seeing Matthew and I sort of chatting him up and um, really did not get very far. He was very diminutive and um, distracted, I suppose. But then I saw him again another, another week and we had a little bit more of a, an engaging conversation. And then we eventually went out on a date. I'm sure Matthew can add to the story and his, his angst about all that. But um, it worked because here we are 28 years later. It was a very slow process. We, uh, we didn't hit it off, saw each other a couple weeks later because we would frequent, the, it was just a, uh, a beer bar where you play like pool and yeah. hang out with friends. And saw each other a couple weeks later, started chatting, had a date about a week later after that. So it'd been like three or four weeks in the making. And uh, you know, sometimes it's better to take things slowly and then uh, here we are 28 years later. So not too bad. Yeah, and, and, we're, and, we're, and we're social distancing. He is doing this from downstairs in the library and I'm doing this from upstairs in our bedroom. Yeah, we're being responsible. Yeah. I highly advise partners to social distance within their <laughs> home. I think, I think it is. I think not even even with pandemic or not. Yeah, you should totally distance. agree. Um, yeah, actually, everyone keeps on asking us like, "Oh, how are you dealing with the social distancing?" I'm like, "Dude, we've been social distancing for 28 years. We've got yeah. we've got it down to a science. So we know how to avoid all the Sid and Nancy pitfalls. Um, we've um, so anyway, yeah. So it's all working out. We're it's a, it's a, and it's amazing to think it has actually been 28 years. Well, I definitely want advice on how to social distance to make your marriage last 28 years. <laughs> I'm only four years in. But before we do that, I want to, uh, how long were you guys dating or together before you decided to start your own thing? Because you each had your own careers, both in the you know yeah. adjacent industry, but when were you like, we should do our own thing? We didn't even move in together for two years. We each had our own apartment. And then... 10 years into the relationship, we started the business, which was really, Andrew is the real entrepreneur in the relationship. And it was, he was the catalyst 
first starting this business together, which was my industry. I'm Matthew. <laughs> I'm Matthew. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, so Andrew, I guess, tell us like, what was that? Like, what, like why? And also, uh, you know, you mentioned that Andrew was the entrepreneur. Was this something that was like always in your blood? Did you always want to do your own thing? Um, so I had always, I had had a very sort of nonconformist um, background and doing lots of different things. And I was really creative and sort of shunned responsible living in New York. And uh, when I came back, I was like, all right, now I'm going to take all the skills that I've learned being away and apply them. And both my parents are very entrepreneurial. Like my dad has his own law, law firm and my stepmother had her own business. My mother has her own business. So to me, it was just sort of a no brainer. And um, the catalyst really was that Matthew had through his career had ended up at Kiehl's. And when Kiehl's was sold to L'Oreal, uh, I looked at him and I said, wow, that, you know, that's such an opportunity for somebody to jump in and sort of pick up where they left off, not to replicate it because it's already been done, but to create what they had done so well in creating a really niche boutique luxury business. And that was really, really special and family owned. My background being design, it was really a fusion of how do we take Matthew's world of beauty and my world of design. And I would always remember when I would visit Matthew in his various places of employment. And I thought beauty was just incredibly Baroque. I mean, almost intimidating. So what if we brought sort of a design perspective on beauty and a less is more without sounding too cliche and take some of the intimidation out of it? We had a real viable business. And so that was sort of the mantra of Malin Getz from the very beginning, how to uncomplicate skincare, not only from a design perspective, but also from a formula perspective. But, but, the, but even to take a step backwards, we both had worked, like I'd had four jobs total before we started Malin Getz and Andrew here in the US had only had one for about 10 years, the first 10 years of our relationship. All of those jobs were with independent and niche luxury entrepreneurial businesses that had been a success. Mm -hmm. So it was something that we were very familiar with. I just wasn't the same level of risk taker as Andrew was just because I didn't grow up that way. My, my parent, you know, my dad worked for the same company for 45 years or something, whereas Andrew's whole family are independent entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, yeah. I come from a similar family background to you, Matthew, where my parents, you know, stay in the, like my dad is still with the same company, I think almost 40 years later. And my mom has moved, but always has, you know, worked in a traditional job. And for whatever reason, I was spit out to be someone who is much more entrepreneurial. So it's, it's yeah. so interesting, like how that comes, like happens, you know? Yeah. I'm the opposite yeah. though. I'm like Andrew. My dad started multiple businesses and my mom started, they tried to start a business together. So, but it wasn't until kind of JBC and I met Melissa that I felt we could do this. For us, it was more like I had it in my blood, but I knew I couldn't do it alone. So I'm right there with you. If Andrew and I hadn't been together for 10 years, and I didn't feel that I could have trusted that. And by the way, I have um, conservative parents from the Midwest who, uh, you know, aren't entrepreneurs, but they were highly supportive. So even when I went to them and said, you know, look, there's this idea, Andrew and I think we're going to start this business together. Mm -hmm. They were a hundred percent behind me after they had asked me, like, you know, drilled me like a, that with a thousand questions. Yeah. About, Did you save enough money? What if it doesn't work out? Or you know, like, and, and, but ultimately we had a lot of support and, and being together, knowing that we had somebody to rely on, like you're saying with Melissa, like it's really, that was a, a key aspect of just feeling confident to be able mm -hmm. to start this together. But didn't yeah, you, I, you guys have the extra layer of being in love. So to me, yes. Wait, are, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying you're not in love with me? I, I, I actually, <laughs> I, I, this I, is a revelation I'm not okay with. This is a whole other podcast. <laughs> no, I am in love with you. I really am. Um, let's let's you get are the psychiatrist in on the, on the conversation and uh, the counselor. <laughs> <laughs> no, Melissa, Melissa is one of my soulmates. I will 100% attest to that. I believe that people have multiple soulmates, one of my weird theories, but Melissa is one of them. I imagine, you know, if you're together, you have people saying, well, aren't you worried about your relationship and the impact that running mm -hmm. a business together could take on your relationship? Of course. I, mean, I, th I think that that's one of the toughest things. In fact, it was really one of the first things that I thought about personally. You know, we, we were both very independent. We came from different industries, different career paths, different ways of working. We had separate homes for the first two years of our relationship. 
So, you know, there, there was a, a lot to consider. On the opposite end, though, who do you trust more? You have to take a leap of faith at a certain point and try something. And I guess that's part of what being in business for yourself was all about in the first place. Yeah. So we did. And, you know, in this particular instance, as well as the personal side, they've paid off. There's been issues along the way, for sure. Yeah, of course. There's issues, but there's issues with any partner you may have in business or mm-hmm. whether it's a, you're working in a corporate office or an entrepreneurial one. You have to figure out how to navigate um, the situation. And I think the, the advantage, and there are disadvantages as well, of being in a personal relationship, as Matthew mentioned, there's nobody you trust more. And so, you know, having that leap of faith is really, really incredible. You know, there's no political assassinations between you and mm-hmm. your partner. Um, so it makes you very much stronger and fortifies you. Uh, you know, the weak points are, is that, you know, it, it, there's an intensity that you have to learn how to separate your work from your personal life. And that's a process. And I don't know that that process um, begins and ends on a certain time. I think you, you, you're always constantly doing it. Sometimes it's Sisyphean. You're like, you realize, oh, shit, we got to bring things back and figure out how to separate things. But um, in the long run, to me, it's a great advantage. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not for everyone, but it's worked for a lot of people. And it also has not worked for a lot of people. So it right, really depends right. on the individuals. Now, like you're in, you're in the business and how do you separate business from work? And I know that's almost impossible. I mean, even my husband and I, we don't share businesses, but we bring work home and talk about it all the time. But how do you, I guess, define your roles at work? And then how do you define what's our dynamic at home? And we were lucky that we came to the business from entirely separate perspectives. So Andrew's skill set and my skill set were entirely different. He came with more of a creative skill set and I had more experience from from the beauty perspective, very specifically in marketing and sales. So in product development to, to some degree. So I was taking on more of the very specific beauty oriented role and Andrew more of the larger general creative and operational role and so they were already separated from day one which i think in some ways really helped to set us up for some success and every relationship of course is about compromise so whether it's personal or professional like how are you finding the middle ground and and i think that we've been able to do that successfully yeah no at the the beginning i always joke when we opened our store in chelsea in 2004 we had our office behind the store and there was a big long table and he sat, Matthew sat at one end and I sat at the other. It really was <clears throat> Malin and Getz. And um, as people started, as we were able to employ people, you know, I'd always joke like, okay, you know, be careful what you're getting into because it is a personal dynamic. And um, while we always have done our best to keep our personal life separate from the business, you know, at times it does fuse, they do fuse into one another. We've gotten better at it and we've, honed it over the years, but we're human beings and, you know, we make mistakes from time to time and hopefully we learn from them and it's not always easy. I always have the mantra that it should always be fun as much as possible. And if I think if you keep Mm -hmm. a positive attitude that, you know what, yes, we're working, but let's have a good time while we do it. Things seem to solve themselves. Also, the business has changed so much in 16 years. I mean, in the, and I'm sure you're, you're both aware of this as well. Like in the first five years of your business, it's 24 seven. Like we didn't have a day off. We never took a vacation. We barely had a salary. We were doing what we were doing because we loved it. And we went to work every day and we just worked. That was it. And I remember like probably, it was probably year five and we'd had no time off at all, zero time. And we were on a plane to Asia and you know, you have like that 12 hour flight where you're doing nothing all of a sudden. And this was before like Wi-Fi was available on a plane. <laughs> and, you know, we went into like a coma and I was like, this isn't healthy. And we had saved money in case the business had failed to live off of and find jobs. And we, uh, we turned to one another and we said, let's take the savings as the business is now becoming successful and buy a weekend home out of New York City so that we can obligate ourselves to have a day off and separate and have these moments where we can relax and have, you know, so as the business has grown and developed and we've added staff and we've had some successes and we've been able to make some money, we've been able to sort of um, evolve both personally and professionally to create separation or, or, you know, we started with separation, but to create different levels of separation that have allowed us to be able to sustain. Yeah, I really relate to that. It's funny. 
I mean, in the beginning, Melissa and I, I mean, we're only in year six, I think. I don't even I think know anymore. seven, almost seven. seven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they all kind of blend into each other. Yeah, totally. The first few years were just, they were, you know, brutal. It was just nonstop. You know, Melissa wasn't married at the time. I wasn't married. There were no children involved. We had the flexibility to just kind of be on top of each other and meshed in each other's worlds. And then, you know, things started shifting. We found our footing. Things got better. We obviously hired a bigger staff and experts in different fields. But funny enough or not funny enough, now that we're dealing with this pandemic, we're kind of going backwards, you know? So we are finding that we are working the same hours and pace and have that kind of meshed sensibility Mm -hmm. because we're kind of, we're all trying to survive this retail apocalypse. And it's interesting because it was like kind of as soon as we found our footing and we really felt like we figured this out and we had a nice flow, this horrible thing happened. It's been interesting and it's been really eye-opening that we've had to almost like relearn how to communicate as partners and run the business given this really tricky time. So I, I totally hear what you're saying. And it's just kind of sad because we really did find a feel on our end that we were hitting our stride mm-hmm. right when we were kind of knocked back down to like yeah. that real startup scrappy sensibility. Well, I also think everything happens for a reason though, because now we're coming up almost on a year. Jen moved to the West Coast almost a year ago in August. And that forced us to say, how is our, what's our new dynamic? We're three hours different, you know, we have a three hour difference now and I have to wait for her to wake up and, you know, she's still raring to go at, you know, you don't, you don't wake, her you time, don't wait but I'm for like, me to wake up. You do not <laughs> wait for me to wake up. I woke up this morning. On the like, record, I wait for her to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, um, but I honestly think that tension is the mother of invention and creativity. Oh yeah, totally. Like, it's amazing when I look at businesses that become successful and whether they take an investment or they get flooded with money and to watch the creativity just get completely whitewashed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I think we're looking at when nobody wishes Trump or Corona upon the nation or the world for that matter, it does spur a lots of creative juices um, mm-hmm. and helps us think about like what this post-Corona, post-Trump world will look like. And that to me is really exciting. Yeah, it is. And I agree with you. And I think that's why I'm so fascinated by small businesses and startups and how people are kind of pivoting and reinventing themselves right now, because you're right, people are kind of, they're they're forced to do it. There's no other option. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing some amazing moments from some brands right now that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. I know as a company, you know, it's a media relations agency, so we're not doing anything too revolutionary, but it's really made us think about how we're handling communications. Um, And I don't think it would have forced us to do it otherwise. Regardless of the time, I mean, if you're finding a voice, if you're going to start a successful business, at least in my opinion, from from what I've learned over the past 16 years, it's really about finding a void in the marketplace and then owning it and sort of creating your own path. And if yep. you can't do that, there's just a lot of noise out there and you're probably not going to be able to sustain or, or, or really succeed. It's really regardless of whatever the time is, and certainly times of extreme change like what's happening right now are going to open up opportunities. But if you're already finding those opportunities along the way, regardless of what the time is, you're sort of setting yourself up for the most success that you can. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you guys. So how big is your team now, your internal team? 140. Wow. And then, so is it pretty, and I know you've mentioned this a few times and we did our research, um, but since you came from different backgrounds and you obviously each focus on different aspects of the business, during the day when you're communicating with your teams, is it pretty separate or is there crossover? How does that kind of work? Yeah, both. I would say both. I mean, we have, um, so now we have an executive team. So in our office in New York City, um, the, the executive team is probably 35 people. And then the rest of the group, the other hundred people out there are, are a sales force. So right. we have 15 freestanding stores and then 70% of our business is dedicated to wholesale. Um, so there's, mm-hmm. there's a field staff that happens to be out there. Um, we're sitting physically with the executive team all day long. And right. because our, our roles are divided, we're often having individual, like I am often dealing with product development on a day-to-day basis. So I sit with our PD person, our director, and she and I will review things regularly. And then maybe once a week we have a group meet. Right. I feel like when you have or- like a, a nice organizational structure like that, it gets so much more efficient. Like Jen was saying before when we it was just her and I and then, you know, five people. It was like everyone was doing everything and we were involved in every 
aspect of it. But as we started to build a team and had VPs and like this little cluster of seniority, it allows her and I, A, to separate where we focus so we're not working on everything because that makes no sense, but also to give and empower our senior team to also lead and just do their jobs. And I think that's um, really important to, is to empower your, your leaders to lead. Um, if you get caught up in every bit of minutia, you end up going the wrong direction. Yeah. You have to allow people to, to trip and stumble a little bit and, and then they learn. Obviously, you want to head off any kind of catastrophic decision that somebody's if they're going off the cliff, but it's also important to test. But I think if you're mm -hmm. involved with every aspect, your employees will sort of end up really disliking you because you're not giving them the chance to flourish. We've even taken it one step further. So 16 years in, well, let's see, we're 16 years old now. So 14 years into the business, we hired a CEO. So I was the CEO, Andrew is the president, but we pretty much both did the same same things in terms of hierarchy. But we hired a CEO who's now sort of running the day-to-day -day operations of the business, allowing us to focus on all the marketing and all the creative and splitting those tasks. Andrew also has over historically overseen all production, manufacturing, all creative. And he also oversees our, which is a very sizable piece of our business, our amenity program. And so pieces of those things we still own entirely um, like the amenity program andrew just owns however there there is somebody running the operational aspects of the day-to-day -day, so at least we're not having to sort of be in the weeds all the time as well yeah which, yeah. Has, made, which has made a difference personally too because it allows us a different kind of separation outside of the business um, so we're not necessarily, like you were saying, you bring things home to your husband, but you don't work together. Right. When you work together and you live together, it's nice to have that separation outside of work as well. A hundred percent. It's funny just because we made a lot of mistakes on the way, like a lot. Our first and our second year, it was like, everyone's like, well, what did you do wrong? I'm like, well, what did we do right? You know, it was, <laughs> it was really hard. I mean, neither Melissa and I or I had any experience running a company. Frankly, we didn't know each other super well at that point. So we were kind of figuring out how to fall in love. But we were lucky in that we did exactly that. We started to kind of develop, uh, we found amazing vice presidents to kind of slowly come and join us as we could afford them to yeah. take over individual departments at JVC. So the we hired this amazing woman named Libby. She's now our senior vice president, but she came on board, started handling kind of tech companies. And as we did that, it was like this weight was lifted off of our shoulders. We were like, we can breathe. We can actually run the company now. We can kind of figure out how are we going to differentiate ourselves as a PR agency? What are we doing differently? What new divisions are we going to launch? Because before we had those people that were frankly smarter than us in a lot of ways and better than us in a lot of ways, we couldn't take our eye off anything. Mm -hmm. And they gave us frankly, it was a luxury to be able to take a step back and say, okay, those accounts are good. They're running. They're getting great press. Now, where are we going as a brand? And what about just taking a step back and saying, every entrepreneur has all kinds of failures every single day. And yeah. I think what separates you from being a failure or success is how quickly you fix or put out the fires. Yep. So, yeah. You know, and then the team that you're organizing around that, like they're going to be putting out fires as well. So can they do it as well or better than you? Mm -hmm. and that's really, I mean, it's half the battle right there. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I, I just think it's really important to actually make mistakes because that's where you learn. No, I mean, First of all, nobody can not get through the day without making a mistake. Mm -hmm. So it's a question how you view the mistake. Some people will demure it and beat themselves up. I've, we've always had the attitude like, okay, we've done, we, we screwed this up. Um, what have we learned from this experience? Because there's nothing wrong with making a mistake. What drives me absolutely mad is making the same mistake. Over oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, oh, Andrew, you're speaking my language. <laughs> that I don't have patience for. That's where I knock my head against the wall. Like, oh, we've already done this. So that right. means we didn't learn. But, but right. who in New York has time to dwell? I mean, if you're dwelling on a mistake, somebody else is taking over. Like yeah. so, also, to, to even go, take it go, one go. step backwards, you know, I think the biggest issue too is people don't admit when they make mistakes. I think there yeah. is this shame as entrepreneurs that we have. And Melissa and I have always been kind of extremely transparent and honest. When we mess up, we say, listen, we messed up. Like we're human. Now, what are we going to do differently? But I, I think, think okay. a, yeah, I think a lot of people are just, they cover it up and they hide it. And they're like, well, I made a mistake, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah. And I think, listen, we're human. We're running businesses. It's not easy. I, I make mistakes every yeah. single day. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, again, we're not, we're not talking like, oh, I made a mistake. I, I took $150 from the till in the store. 
Obviously, those mistakes <laughs> are not forgivable. But from the, from a management standpoint, like, oh, someone took $150 from the till, how, how are we going to learn so right. that doesn't happen again? Or right, right. We assuage the possibility that we don't find ourselves find ourselves in the same situation. So I think there, you know, there's healthy mistakes, and then there are more toxic ones. But again, you you learn from all of them. Something I, honestly, I feel like we could talk to you guys for a really long time. I feel like we have a lot in common, even though we're coming from totally different industries a little bit. But um, I also just really like you guys. Um, <laughs> we're we're all texting back and forth right now, being like, how can we become friends with them? I I think you guys have such a great perspective on this. I'd love for you to just, and I'm not, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you do have any advice for any kind of entrepreneurs that are starting up that are either looking for a co-founder or have a co-founder, what is some advice you would give them about how to navigate that tricky at times relationship? It's different for different people. I think the most important thing is to have someone that you really, really can trust. And um, we've heard countless stories over the years of incredibly smart people who have hired people and partnered with people. And you think like, how could this have happened? You're so smart. You're so clever. How could you not have seen it? And you don't know what you don't know. So I get it. It's not always easy. But if there's a way you should do whatever due diligence you have that you really know what you're getting into with whom you're getting into it with, that doesn't mean you're checking into a day spa every day and it's going to be harmony and zen, you're going to have your battles. But those, are, those battles are healthy. Those battles spur ideas and concepts and creativity. So it's good, again, to have that tension. I'm not talking about a tension-free relationship. I'm talking about a really trusting and mutually respective relationship. I think that is a really, really important thing. And also having, as Matthew mentioned, having you don't need a duplicate of yourself. I mean, sometimes we do, right, but right. in general, it's you already have you having somebody who has uh, skills that are completely different from yours. That so that you, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts is really, really important. You don't need two financial guys. You want to have somebody different. So I think those things have been very, very helpful for us. I would probably add to Andrew where where he mentions due diligence. One of the things that had been rec- recommended to me personally when I was sort of considering the idea of starting our business, which was probably two years prior to when we actually did. So we launched in 2004. So probably in 2002, we really seriously started thinking about this. And one of the things that had been recommended to me by pretty much anyone who started a business or was smart enough to be able to consult on people who are thinking about starting a business was write a business plan. And I didn't really know what that meant or how to go about it. And I have a, uh, Andrew and I have a friend in the industry who had given me their business plan, which is hugely successful. Her husband was Oxford and Harvard educated, came from Boston Consulting Group, wrote a business plan for them, and they just handed it over to us. And they're like, okay, use our business plan as a model. And, you know, I sat for a year and a half develop, helping develop our business to launch, of which probably six months of that was dedicated to a business plan, to writing a business plan and thinking about all of the details and then another six months implementing that plan. And you know, even if it's remedial, having the roadmap and thinking about your vision and your guide and what that's going to be and who's going to be on that journey with you and how you're explaining it to someone. So you're giving them this very transparent idea of what the business looks like, how you operate, who you are as a person, it really does make a tremendous difference. And I can say, and I think it's entirely to the credit of the friend who gave me the business plan. Mm -hmm. The business plan ran to plan for the first five years of the business. And it is really an incredible feat to be able to have that at your disposal, to see like where you're going, and then to have your partner on that journey with you at the same time. So that it's, it's just very directed. And I agree. And um, actually, Matthew would still be working on that business plan if we um, <laughs> if I, if on it. Because I think you also need to have to be intuitive and to know when opportunity is staring you in the face. And I, I always say that um, statistically, everyone is given the same amount of bad luck and the same amount of good luck. And where you succeed is expediting the good luck and diminishing the bad luck. Because some days it's going to rain and some days the sun is going to shine. What you do with that is where success comes in. Because, I mean, some people wallow 
in the failure. Like mm-hmm. you know, they can't get past it um, or the, un, the bad misfortune. And then some people, when, when the gods are smiling, they don't do anything with it. They're just like, oh, this was great. But then there's an, there's an opportunity. So knowing when to find the opportunity and what to do with it and how to diminish and assuage unfortunate things that happen are really, really important. And those go beyond a business plan. That just goes on like just being a very intuitive person and, and a risk taker. We're definitely um, uh, the latter. Um, we definitely went more with intuition. If anyone asked us what our business plan was, we wouldn't have anything to share. I think we uh, no, just no, said. No, that's not true. I had a business plan. I actually offered to show it to you once and you said you were not interested. Oh, in saying. well, that's how much I know about it. I definitely went 100% on intuition and trust yeah. and just knew that it made sense for Jen and I to do this together without a ton of vetting or thinking about it. It was just I just went with my gut, took and said, well, we also, this works. Yeah, our business plan was also kind of, we looked, we saw most PR agencies were broken. We thought the entire industry was actually extremely antiquated and very broken. And no one was talking to these really exciting new brands that were, you know, and, and we basically looked at every agency we had worked at or worked with and said, this didn't work. How can we make it better and how can we change it? And that was kind of the foundation that we used. Yeah where, where um, PR is completely different than it was even five years ago. Totally. I mean, oh, my goodness. Media, it's media is a, a completely animal. It's amazing. So, you know, it is. When, when we're often asked to speak at, uh, about being entrepreneurs and, you know, various functions, whatever they happen to be, it's really um, exciting to me the number of uh, students right out of school who they have no intent to work for a company. They, they want to start a business. That's their only direction. And I didn't have that, um, you know, I, that wasn't how I started. So I came with 10 years of experience behind me too. So while I'm very regimented and I like the analytical process of putting it down and sort of understand that, and I wouldn't have been able to do it any other way. I also, from an intuitive perspective, I had 10 years of experience within my industry to know like, there is a void in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I do understand the ins and outs of how certain things work. So I know where the trouble could exist or how I could be successful in a right. particular way. And some people really need to stop and think, should I have a job first and get some level of experience? Or am I really just like, go hum, going to write a business plan, be mm-hmm. regimented, think about these details and really just jump off the cliff. It's funny that that's what, and this is, everyone keeps saying, why are you guys doing a podcast? Don't you have enough to do? One of the reasons we're doing this is because I think so many people have it in them and they're saying, I want to start something, but I don't know how to do it. And I know when we, you know, launched JBC, we didn't have any resources. There was no, as you said, you had to ask a friend for a business plan. Like there was no podcast to listen to or YouTube video to watch. And I feel like the more we can talk to entrepreneurs to give real tactical, transparent advice about how this works, the more helpful it is. And I think people will then be able to take that information and say, okay, well, like, is this something I'm ready to do? Yeah. Yeah, And I I think it's really important to know what you do and do what you know. You know, uh, although I was new to the beauty world, Matthew covered all those bases and I was very confident in from a design perspective of how we were going to merge both our skill sets. But if I had just said, if Matthew wasn't around, I said, oh, I'm going to launch a beauty brand. I would have been completely ill-equipped to do that on my own and would have failed incredibly rapidly. So I do think it's important to have not only passion in something, but also to have knowledge in something and experience. Otherwise, it, it, it's a little bit it's a slippery slope, I think. Or just luck of the draw. And like you said, Melissa, you're, you're just intuitive, but you were coming into, you were creating a business within an industry for which you knew. Which right. Is- I mean, at, at that point, I've been doing PR already for 10 years, you know, right. and knew my world and knew Jen and, and, and we had how worked well together. She- it's not like yeah, you met me it, on the street or at a bar. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, But I didn't right. need to see a six month or 12 month or five year business plan to know that we had something, we had a unique perspective that no one yeah. else had, um, yeah. and that it would work, you know. Um, but but you were also both experts in in your yeah. We've been doing it for a while. I was going to say one great thing about just living in New York City too is that 
it's just filled with people who have interesting ideas and are doing interesting, dynamic, wonderful things. And you, you know, the moment you have any level of success or notoriety, you just have access to those people. Mm -hmm. Like they're just sitting next to you in a restaurant and mm -hmm. like you strike up a conversation, you know, hopefully they'll be sitting next to everyone in a restaurant quite soon again. <laughs> yeah. But you strike up a conversation and all of a sudden you're talking to somebody who created, you know, like a, a spaghetti brand that you've been eating for the past 10 years. And, and having that access to is, it's just so empowering and exciting when you're in New York and meeting these people and sharing the um, successes and the failures that we all have as business people and, uh, and knowing that you're not alone. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think New York and um, other big cities are, have great advantages of, um, being petri dishes for creativity and uh, really entrepreneurial people. Doesn't mean you can't do that in your basement in the middle of Kansas, but I do think it's, you have an incredible advantage when you're around a lot of other dynamic people. And that's industry specific as well. So, you know, if you're gonna be in beauty, it's to your advantage to be in a place like New York City. Right, right. You, know, so you don't have to, but you're probably gonna set yourself up more for success if you are. Yeah, I mean, access. You have access. Exactly. I mean, like I said, we, you know, we, I had been meeting beauty editors for years before we started this business. So by the time we started the business, we, you know, even before we launched, we had access to some of the, the biggest names in beauty editorial that were out there. So we were like, hey, you know what? We have this business where we're going to be launching it. We want to pitch it to you. And they at least allowed us to pitch, you mm -hmm. know, or once you're in it and you're doing it, like I said, you, you could be out and about just on the street and, you know, lo and behold, like the Vogue editor lives down the block from you and, you know, you see her every day and that matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that was a great advantage of being in New York is that media was at least uh, traditional media at the time is based in New York. So we could make it our uh, destiny to just know as many editors personally as possible. We would hold dinner parties in our store that I would cook because we lived above the above the store and we made them really intimate experiences and fun. So what we couldn't buy our way into um, we could charm our way into. So we had access. And, and manufacturing, yeah, local, manufacturing is local to New York City. So a lot of beauty manufacturing happens in and around New York City. So we manufactured 90% local to New York. But having access to manufacturers, being able to go to the manufacturing facility, meeting with chemists locally, talking about the ins and outs of what you want a formula to, to be so that it's special and specific to you. Like all these things were accessible to us. I love that you said that charm, can, you charmed your way. And I think charm gets you a lot further than money ever will. Because um, money could always run out or it just, that's very transactional, whereas charm, is you know a very emotional much more personal experience or interaction with someone so i think the charm strategies is one a lot of people should think about um i, I think it's it, i think it gets forgotten a lot and yeah i mean um, it's really important. i mean when you when you have very little resources in terms of capital um you don't really have much options so mm -hmm. how, do you, how are you going to compete with an estee lauder or l'oreal when you're this tiny little company it's impossible but what you can do is you can use charm and ingenuity and cleverness to do things that you can't buy yourself into. And, and no one would know better than the two of you that business is about building relationships. 100%. So, I mean, we, we've been working with a lot of the same um, writers and manufacturers and suppliers for 16 years, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we are, we're just, you know, we're embedded with them. I mean, they're, they're our friends. We, we enjoy spending time with them. That's amazing. Well, I, like Jen said, we could literally talk to you guys for hours. Um, I feel like there's so much more to learn and, and uncover from this conversation. And I can't imagine our audience is, is going to um, disagree with me. But before we take up any more of your time, there's one last thing we mentioned to you is that we're going to do our quick Wait, five. Wait, what, Before what, what? that, don't we want to, I, I, if there's anything they want to talk about, um, do you guys have any launches coming up or anything Oh, you yeah, want? yeah, of course. So we're, we're in the process of launching, um, and this is our first 100% digital launch ever, um, a brand new resurfacing face serum. So it's Ooh. a very light, daily exfoliating, very gentle exfoliating um, face serum that you can use just for topical exfoliation, clarity, and brightness. 
um, something that's filling a void within our assortment happening right now Mm -hmm. where we've been putting it off for the past couple of months. We are just finally taking the the bull by the horns and just doing it. And uh, so far it's been, I think it's been online and in the market for a week now and it's ranking number five out of all of our products after 16 years. So that's, that's amazing. amazing. Good for you. I will say when Matthew talks about brightness, he, it won't raise your IQ, but it will help your. (laughs) (laughs) And you mentioned that it's gentle. And I will say it's that gentle is like the one word I would use. If people talk about your products, everything you do, and I'm not doing your PR or plugging it on your behalf. I'm just telling you as a consumer, everything feels gentle on your skin, which I think is really refreshing because there's so much out there that really feels rough or, you know, gritty. And I know some people may like that sensation. I like when it feels calm and gentle and kind of soft. And I've never not had that with one of your products. Well, well, thank you. We work really hard at that. And I have suffered from a lot of skin issues, rosacea, seborrhea. And so we take great care to ensure that even somebody with the most sensitive skin can use almost mm-hmm. anything in the entire range and certainly see results. So we're, we're very proud of that. Yeah. Amazing. You should um, be. And what's your website again? Where can people f- get this amazing new serum? The website is um, malinandgets.com. All which one is, word. Which is spelled out M-A-L-I-N-A-N-D-G-O-E-T-Z.com. Thank and if, you. unless you're, I guess, living under a rock, I assume people know, <laughs> know the website and know the brand. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, now Melissa, now you can get. All right, all right. Part. Now we can start our game. It's just it's five quick questions, and yeah, we'll just we'll just play and have a good time. So, um, the first one is, what is your desert island beauty product? So sunscreen. I always answer the very same for for anything, and that would be sunscreen. Um, for I mean, for like a desert yeah. island, you know. Yeah, you, I, I think uh, so, I, I who tend to have a, a much more resilient and darker complexion. I'm still going to vote for sunscreen on the desert island. I'm going to give an anecdote there. Um, I actually had to go to the dermatologist yesterday because I'm a very Jewish hypochondriac kind of person. And if I see anything that looks remotely suspicious on my skin, I go insane. Um, And we're in the, obviously I mentioned we're in the middle of this pandemic and my dermatologist mentioned that because people are staying inside right now, they're still not wearing sunscreen. They're eliminating it from their routines and he's seeing an increase in, you know, potential, problematic moles and things like that. So I'm doing a PSA right now because I'm a big believer in this, that even if you are inside your house, you are sitting by a window, you need to be wearing sunscreen. If you go for a quick five minute walk, you need to be wearing sunscreen. I will preach it every day until I'm blue in the face. Well, Agreed. also too, if you live in New York City, because California won't count in this respect, um, and it's springtime and it's cloudy most of the time, mm-hmm. you think, oh, I'm gonna go outside, it's cloudy, I don't need sunscreen on today. And those are the days where I've had the worst burns. Yep. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Okay, my, what are your astrological signs? <laughs> I'm an Aries. And I'm a Leo. Leo. Oh, I'm a Leo too. When Leo and Aries are supposed to be a good match. Good. Well, it seems to be working. <laughs> All the women in my life are Aries and Leos. That's so My mother and my best friend. I don't friend, even really know what the, um, what the uh, traits of an Aries or Leo are, but... Um, We'll take your word for it. <laughs> Aries are extremely maternal. They're like caregivers. They like to take care of the people in their circle. Yeah. Well, that's why I cook all the meals. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. During Corona, corona uh, crisis. Yep. All right. What is a book that you'll read again and again? Oh, um, Middlesex. So I don't read books over and over again. Um, I, I tend to, oh, I'm, I've been there, done that. Like I just sure. um, go on to the next thing. I can't so what's even the last getting, one you read? Um, I'm in the middle. I'm just now finishing All the Light You Cannot See. I read it. Anthony Dort, which is amazing. Amazing. Incredibly metaphoric for this time of uh, yeah. Corona because it's about the occupation in France. and Yeah. So beautifully written. And the protagonists are both incredible. So I'm going to be I, sad when it comes to the end. Yeah, I was going to say, not that anybody asked me, but I am going to tell you that I finished a few months ago and have yet to be able to start another book. I read A Little Life, which I never read. I've never read that Oh, it gutted me. It destroyed me. It's like 800 pages. I cannot, I, not since reading A Secret History by Donna Tartt when I was like 20 something, have I read uh-huh. a book that really like took a hole out of my heart. So I am 
preaching to anyone who is listening to read A Little Life. It is mind-blowing. Forgive me, but who wrote that? Her name's Hannah. I have to Google it. It's mind-blowing. It's really long and really heavy, and it will destroy you. I don't remember a book that made me cry this much, but it (laughs) is... If you're looking for levity, I've just finished um, Goldfinch. And uh, oh, mm-hmm. very easy read. Yeah. You know, it, it's, a, it's almost just, especially if you've ever lived in New York, like there's so many references and it's just, it's, yeah. it's kind of a, more of a pleasure read than, than what yeah. you're I love yeah. her. Donatard, I love Donatard. Donatard is good that way. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, my turn. What is on your bedside table? Well, that's easy for me because I'm in the bedroom right now. So there's a, there's a Pantone lamp. Um, <laughs> there's a vitamin B5 body moisturizer neatly stacked coins that I don't know what to do with <laughs> my I my ear pods and um, my book I'm a little neater than Andrew and I have my iPod charger and I have a little dish which I keep for my watch my glasses and a lip moisturizer I'm not really sure that's neater but um... <laughs> Made just a few like like a fewer things, but I don't know if it's it's like, it's more organized too. Everything Andrew described <laughs> the whole list, it's like spread out everywhere. That's mm-hmm. not true. The coins are all piled by denomination in lovely columns, and um, there's nothing to spend. I mean, who uses coins anymore? I, don't I, know. Know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, which is why. Are they on the bedside table to begin with? Because I'm d- debating what to do with them. I'm going to find a purpose. <laughs> For 10 years you've been debating. <laughs> that is so funny. Maybe, maybe I'm throwing them pretty soon. Um, okay, last one. Um, what is your go- go-to self-care regimen right now, especially? It, it doesn't in, have um, to be beauty. It can be anything yeah, it you're be doing anything. for self-care. Oh, so we're self-isolating at uh, a weekend house in Hudson, New York. We're very fortunate to have this place. And luckily, we have almost 10 acres of land. So in the morning, you know, I take a walk with the dog. We're, you know, we're, we're able to get some fresh air, walk around outside. I have a little workout routine. And then um, if I'm showering every day, which my advice to everyone is wash your face every day, twice a day, and moisturize it. And I'm not following my own advice right now. But when I do, um, it's a very simple regimen of grapefruit facial cleanser, vitamin E facial moisturizer supplemented with our um, replenishing face serum. And it's really just that simple. Um, awesome. I think my little thing that I love is like a cocktail at the end of the day to take the edge of. Melissa's well, gonna fall in love with you in five. Uh, I know. Just one. You don't need more. And actually, and I have not. Um, weirdly enough, I have not been really um, inviting through most of this. But on the occasions, like it's the weekend soon. You know, having a Negroni just to kick it off is like mm-hmm. it's the best. I love it. And then you make dinner. Yeah, together. I love that. Awesome. I can't wait well, to not be pregnant so I can have a cocktail at the end of the day. When's your maybe baby by do? the time, yeah, maybe by the time this runs, you'll be drinking. I, well, I sure hope so. Everyone pray for me. Um, but <laughs> at the re- at the recording of this podcast, I am for- due in four weeks. So oh, yeah, home stretch. All right, cocktails here. I, I, always, I need to do the caveat that it's not my baby because we are <laughs> <laughs> we are as close as close could be, and it is not my child. But. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. I mean, we had heard such amazing things about you and you, you know, surpassed any expectations we had. You're wonderful people. You gave wonderful advice. Well, hopefully we'll get to see you in person sooner than later. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be so nice. nice. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, guys. All right. Take care. Bye, you guys. Thank you very much. Thanks so much.